Recovery Elevator, episode 52. I'll tell you, I'm so much more comfortable about talking about recovery now because it's in my mind, it's a super positive thing. I don't have the negative associations I used to have because it's so fun to be uh, improving yourself and to be seeing other people in your life improving themselves. It is, uh, I don't know, it's contagious. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast, and my name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for one year, five months, and six days. On today's podcast, I've got Elliot. Of the 52 interviewees that I have interviewed this past year, they are all remarkable. I love every single one of the stories. However, this guy, Elliot, he's got it going on. So I brought him back to help me co-host, shall I say, this episode 52, the one-year culmination of this podcast. The topic of the podcast today is value bombs, what I learned from one year of podcasting. And I'm not talking about keyboard shortcuts or how to make static go away in a podcast or how to write HTML code or JavaScript for a website. And the thought of that makes me shiver. Ugh. In this episode, I am going to summarize the value bombs that I have heard over one year. This list could be two to 300. However, I have summarized to the 10 most reoccurring value bombs that I've heard throughout the podcast. Podcasting about your sobriety isn't really the best way to stay anonymous. However, after years of struggling to stay sober, I was willing to do anything and nothing seemed more powerful than the accountability I'd create by checking in with the world every week. So I bought some basic recording equipment, signed up for a podcasting service, and just started yapping. It was true. I was terrified to release the first episode. Felt like I was jumping off a cliff. I was also bad. Yeah, the other day I went back and listened to a couple of those early podcasting episodes. Thank goodness, I've gotten a lot better at podcasting and doing interviews. I knew there was no way going back. My friends, my family, the normal drinkers who heard this podcast, they couldn't unlisten the information that they just heard. I was going to be an alcoholic forever. Something with today, I'm at full terms with. Acceptance is the answer to that, and I'm totally fine with it. In fact, the pros definitely outweigh the cons, which I've learned in the last year of podcasting. So as I look back on it, the last 52 weeks of my life, and including the three or four or five months of preparation for the podcast, they've been the best years of my life by far. However, they've also been the hardest years of my life. I know what you're thinking. Of course it's hard getting sober, and that's not easy. If you're saying that, you're right. But there is something especially terrifying about getting sober in front of anyone who wants to listen. It's scary putting yourself out there. But not being secretive about my alcoholism has been the best decision I have ever made, period. I was told by Omar from the Share podcast that he tuned in a couple times when I was at about four to five months sober, and he was thinking like, oh man, this is, uh, I want a front row seat for this because this is going to be good. And I hate to disappoint the macabre listeners out there who are expecting to hear about my car in a ditch, crazy parties, and all the other things that the media portrays as an alcoholic to go through on a daily basis. But in fact, I want to make this podcast as boring as possible to non-drinkers. Yeah, what kind of a podcasting goal is that? But if I really want to do recovery justice in a podcast... People listening to this podcast expecting to hear about the tragic losses and, and misery and depression and all that stuff and, and the you know, great drinking stories. However, in the You Might Be an Alcoholic If segment, there are some uh, classic tales there. But that's not what recovery is. Recovery is full of laughter and joy. It's incredible. In fact, after about my fifth or sixth AA meeting, I could hear the voices before I turned the corner at the building where the AA meetings are held. I said to myself, but, but this sound isn't sad. Why, this sound sounds glad. Every drunk down in Drunkfield, tall and small, was mingling without any beer at all. Sobriety hadn't stopped joy from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came the same. I stood there standing before turning that corner, and I said, This happiness, it comes without PBR, it comes without Coors. It comes without tequila margaritas and double pours. I puzzled and I puzzled till my puzzler was sore. Then realized something I hadn't realized before. And that was recovery doesn't suck. Recovery is amazing. If you're finding any parallels with what I just read, it's probably because I felt like the Grinch when he discovered that Christmas is completely different than what he thought it was. That the people in Whoville, when they woke up and didn't see their gifts, 
they were still happy. Life continued. There was still happiness and laughter. It was incredible. One of the most unexpected parts of this podcasting journey has been meeting hundreds of listeners who can relate to the stories and my story as well. I seriously felt like I was the only person who suffered exactly like I did. It turns out alcoholism is ironically a communal disease where everyone afflicted feels isolated. Part of the solution involves finding like-minded people who you can get honest with, who you can get real with. Little did I know, just by talking openly into a microphone, this group of like-minded individuals would just show up. I felt like Kevin Costner in the field of dreams. It was awesome. I've been asked a couple times what have been the most impactful lessons of the podcast that I've learned over the past year. And that's where the idea of this value bomb podcast came from. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. I'd like to welcome Elliot to the podcast. Elliot, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Paul. Fantastic. Elliot, thank you so much for joining us on this very special podcast date. This is episode 52, which marks the culmination of my goal when I created accountability for myself saying I am going to create one podcast episode that comes out every Monday at 6 a.m. for 52 straight weeks. And this is number 52. Elliot, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? Oh man, I'm great. I'm great. What a journey it's been. And congratulations to you, Paul. I mean, it has been so much fun watching this thing grow and develop over the last year. And I mean, I'm just so proud of you and I'm just so excited to be a part of it. Well, thank you, Elliot. And listeners, if you've heard the name Elliot before, it's because he was on podcast episode five. Now, all the interviewees have been fantastic. In fact, this is my favorite part of doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is hearing your stories. But I, like many others, I have bad days. And I think there's been three or four times, Elliot, you, I haven't told you this, but I'm like, you know what? Today sucks. Elliot is going to help me through it. And I'll play your podcast episode. I'll hear it. And like the sun will come up tomorrow. <laughs> I feel better after I hear your episode. And I get emails all the time, Elliot. And a lot of times people are like, they're like, Hey, I really connected with your interviewee. So-and-so this person, that person. And for you, Elliot, I received the most emails saying that guy, Elliot, I really connect with him. And even some of those people have asked me if, if they can get in contact with you. So congratulations uh, of reaching so many people, Elliot. Uh, did you have any idea you're going to reach so many people with your interview? You know, I had no idea. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of funny to look back like hindsight's 2020. And I went back and listened to that episode uh, a little while ago. And it's so funny because I was so nervous before I spoke with you. And I, you may remember I, I got on and, you know, I'm friends with your brother, Mark. And I was so nervous. I called you, Mark, at the beginning of the episode. And I was like, let's edit that out. And you said, no, no, we're putting it in for everybody to hear. And, you know, I think the thing about that interview and, and kind of the thing about this whole journey is, it's been a time to you know, get honest and, and kind of have the barriers come down. And maybe that's why people connected with it. But by doing that and getting out of my comfort zone that day, I've plugged into this awesome recovery elevator accountability group. And we've made so many friends. I've helped you with a couple of the episodes. And it's kind of funny, by getting out of your comfort zone, here I am talking to you today and I'm not nervous at all. I'm just excited. And that's because of that little bit of growth that happened from that episode. So thanks for having me on. And I gotta say, I'm just honored to be here today. I'm just an average guy. I'm no expert in recovery. You know, I, I try to be honest and tell it as it is. But, uh, you know, I'm part of a Thursday night group, men's group, the recovery group that meets. And I'm the baby in that group. There's guys with 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. And I got my two-year chip a couple months ago. I don't know, six months ago, whatever it was. And I'm, I'm still one of the rookies, so uh, I'm, I'm still figuring all this out, but uh, I'm just excited to talk to you today. Oh, I love it. And listeners, the format for this interview is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more of a casual conversation. And if you do want to hear the, the, the interview with Elliot, go back to Recovery Elevator episode five, but this will be a recap over the last 55 interviews total that I have done up to date. There have been many pen flipping moments that I would like to quote and call value bombs. And I've been taking notes over the last nine to 10 months of, of, of these interviews. And I have come up with 10 value bombs that I think you guys are really going to enjoy and find a lot of value of yourselves. And like Elliot said, I don't have all the answers. I am the definition of average. I'm five foot nine for crying out loud. I'm, I am Joe Schmo right here. And I know I don't claim to have all the answers, 
But I do know that after interviewing 55 people, we're really not all that different. And sure, the details are different in some of these stories, but we're all the same for the most part. The stories are all the same, which is why I love it. So, Elliot, you said uh, you wanted to say a couple things before we got into the 10 value bombs. I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, you know, I thought since you're going to have me on, I might as well commandeer the uh, the podcast for today and, and take the reins and, and ask you a few questions. Um, did did so you I, say I commandeer if, the, the podcast episode? Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought I'd have a little surprise for you and uh, shake it up and uh, make it kind of interesting. So I don't know if that's okay with you, Paul, or not. But before we get into, into these value bombs, I got to ask a couple questions. I know everybody's been wondering about you. Uh, like, first off, why in the world did you start this podcast? I, I know you wanted to create a little bit of accountability, but I mean, that's a massive step. What in the world caused you to muster the courage to do this? And how did you get the vision? <laughs> Well, thank you for the uh, the curveball in this uh, episode, Elliot. I don't recall this being in the email chain of, of you, are you asking me questions here? But uh, okay, <laughs> good question. With the Recovery Elevator, I've been asked this several times now of why I started Recovery Elevator. There are about 742 reasons why, but I'll tell you the top three. First off is I needed accountability. There were so many mornings when I woke up with a hangover. My mind was numb and ashamed that I couldn't control my drinking and just straight up pissed off at myself. I'd be like, damn it, Paul, we are done drinking as of right now. And then guess what happened? Later that day, sometimes sometimes I made it tonight. Sometimes it was three hours later. Not only was I drinking, I was drunk. So I needed to create a culture, an environment with more accountability. The second thing is... After I was sober for about a month, I was walking into an AA meeting, looking at the people out there laughing, smiling, having these conversations out on the patio in the sunshine in beautiful Bozeman, Montana. And I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. And you might hear that thinking like, what, what's ridiculous? It's the fact that I had to go through so much pain and anguish and turmoil and inner hell to reach that point. And in fact, I had a failed suicide attempt in 2014. It, it like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, you know what? This is stupid. There's a stigma surrounding alcoholism, addiction, this disease that forced, well, I mean, it, it nearly, it nearly, it nearly took my life and I'm lucky to even be here right now. So that was a part of it right there. I was just like, you know what? Other people don't have to go through the same BS that I went through to get here. Another one is the network. I desperately searched for an online community in 2014 on my phone, on Facebook, right? I desperately searched for what I've created with Recovery Elevator. And, the, and there, I think there's now 10 accountability groups divided up by region throughout the world and America. In fact, one quick story um, is I think it was August or, or July or August, September 2000, or July, somewhere August, September. I'm going to go with August. 2014, it was 1.55 at night and the gas station is closed at 2 a.m. And I'm looking on my phone on Facebook, looking, searching for an online community, an accountability group, basically. And then I saw a Bud Light Lime sponsored ad by Budweiser and I had <laughs> three minutes, just <sighs> three minutes because I, I was a three minute drive away and it was like 1.55, 1.56 a.m. I was like, oh, I can do this. And guess what? I went, I got two large 24 ounce Bud Light Limes and while I was in the line, I threw in some boxes of wine as well. I think four or five boxes of wine. <laughs> so that in a nutshell is, is really why I started Recovery Elevator. And I've said it before, it was, it was accountability was, was the biggest thing. And if download stats, we just broke 165,000 downloads, which is crazy. However, if it's just me and my mom and my brother and dad who listen to this and I'm still sober, like who cares? It's a total win. Yeah. Oh man. It, it is, it is a win because you're sober, but I got to say, thank you. Uh, and not just thank you from me. Thank you from the 500 plus people in the recovery elevator accountability group. Thank you for, from the 160,000 people that have downloaded this. I mean, maybe people have downloaded multiple ones. So let's just call it 80,000 people that have downloaded this. I mean, the, the courage you had a year ago to step forward and tell the truth is hard to even fathom, but 
I mean, you're just an average guy, but so many of us can see ourselves in your story. Cause like you said, they're not all that different. So keep doing what you're doing and thank you for that. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. You, you, you know, when there's certain historical events in the world, like when somebody lands on the moon or a president's assassinated or, or the Super Bowl is won by the Broncos, people can remember often yes. where, where they were. <laughs> you like the Bronco one, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they were the moment that happened. And I remember the day that I was on Facebook and I saw your mom post on Facebook that her youngest son, Paul, is an alcoholic and he's starting this blog and she would really appreciate it if anybody's interested, if they want to listen to it. I remember that like it was yesterday. I can remember the table I was sitting at and uh, it was like the world stood still and I was like, what? Paul's an alcoholic? Wow. Like that must be so embarrassing that his mom put that on Facebook. I remember thinking, I hope she had permission from him before she posted it. And, uh, and so I quickly you know, downloaded the first episode. And uh, I remember where I was when I listened to that first episode. Uh, I remember the elliptical machine I was on. And I remember what room it was in, where I was working out. And it was such a sun standstill moment to realize that this doesn't have to be something that is kept in the closet and, and, and a, a shameful secret. Obviously, it, it was tough for you to share that, but you were feeling freedom and I was feeling freedom because of that. So thanks for what you're doing, man. Yeah, thanks for mentioning my mom in, in that, uh, Elliot. And <laughs> yeah, after I made the decision to do the podcast, I was like, okay. I sent the link to my mom and said, hey, if you wouldn't mind putting this on your personal Facebook page, that would be great. And then when I read her post, she didn't pull any punches. There was no room for misinterpreting that. I was thinking, <laughs> she's going to be like, hey, my son started a podcast. Check this out. It was just like, no, my son is an alcoholic. I was like, oh, mom. <laughs> Simmer down, mom. Simmer down. <laughs> yeah, it worked. I mean, I think that's uh, you probably got a lot of traffic that day from that post. And, and looking back, it's it's pretty neat to see. You know, it's it, I, I'm going to keep commandeering this because I, you know, Damn it. from, from that day until today, you were just some guy in Montana. And I think you'd probably argue with me that you're just still, just still some, some guy in Montana. Yes. Some guy in Montana, but the, you've become this micro celebrity. And I mean that in the best way possible. You know, when uh, I bet everybody in your hometown knows who you are. I mean, you've been in the local papers, you've had interviews done. There's 160,000 downloads where people have listened to you. I think that everybody, most people listening to this feel like they're friends with you. They, they know your deep, darkest secrets. They know your story. They like you. They, they count on you to be there every Monday. You know at least 52 of us. Uh, but even in the um, accountability group online, there's something about when you chime into a podcast, people listen. And I'm curious on your end of the fence, what that feels like. Is that something you're uncomfortable with? Is that something that energizes you? I mean, in one year, you've, you know, you've created quite a following. What's that like? Well, thank, thank you for the, the flattery, Elliot. I, I do appreciate it. And you can't see my face, but it's bright as a tomato right now. So <laughs> thank you for that, big man. Um, look, it's, again, just Joe Schmo here on the microphone. And my eye is still on the prize. It's, it's sobriety. And so I really haven't even had a time or chance to even think about that of, of maybe being a, a micro celebrity. It's, it's sobriety. That's my number one goal. And, and I've got to do what it takes to stay sober. And, and this is working. So it's, it's staying sober. But it isn't, it, you know, I'll tell you what, it, it is nice to have more friends. Who doesn't want more friends? And I'm going to San Francisco on March 5th, uh, Seattle, February 27th for these meetups. And I'm just saying like, hey, can, is it, can anybody want, would anybody want to host Paul Churchill? And all kinds of people are like, yeah, I can stay at my place. I'm getting rides from the airport. More friends is great. Local friends and more local accountability. I was at a, I was at a restaurant the other night and the bartender came up and said, hey, Paul, if I ever see a drink in your hand, I'm going to kick you right in the nuts. <laughs> I swear to God. I was like, is your name Sarah? <laughs> it was hilarious. It was hilarious. And, uh, and she's told me that she has she's told numerous of her clients, shall we say that, that post up at the bar about the podcast. So 
Uh, that kind of accountability is special. I did email somebody uh, or a Facebook uh, requesting an interview, and they're like, oh, my God, I, I feel like you're a celebrity. Is, it, inbox me on Facebook. And I was just like, whoa, no, 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 no. Back, back it up here. No, just like I, I, <laughs> I am like I would be honored if you would spend the time to be with me on my podcast. So um, and that thank, thank you, Elliot. But the final goal here is it's just I got to stay sober. That's it. But I, I will leverage you know, the podcast to, to get me in front of more people, to talk in front of bigger groups and to help more people. In fact, this is not going to happen, which I'm a little bummed about, but Chelsea Handler has a new show on Netflix. Have you ever heard of Chelsea Handler? I, I can't say I have. It sounds familiar, but I can't place it. Okay. Well, you and I are the only ones that grew up in a barn apparently. So <laughs> um, I, I've seen it on my phone. Netflix contacted me and, and they wanted to do a, a story on Recovery Elevator with Chelsea Handler. Um, wow. Turns out, yeah, which is, it, it, which is so cool, just that fact. I mean, I was like talking to producers. It was almost a done deal. Turns out Montana's a little bit too far away for their budget. Uh, but, it, <laughs> but it still might happen in the future and, and whatever. It doesn't really matter to me as, as long as I stay sober. Oh, man, that is, that is so cool. And, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of, I mean... It's like there's this, I don't know if I'd call it low-hanging fruit, but there's something about when people have a common struggle in the bond that creates when you're, you meet somebody and, and you learn, oh, you too? You struggle with that too? It's like all of a sudden the walls come down and you have this connection and you go from a surface conversation to a meaningful conversation. And that's essentially what you've done. Like you said, you're just an average guy from Montana, but by taking down those walls and being real, people can relate and it's so inspiring. So uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Okay. So I got another question for you, Paul, and uh, <laughs> another curveball, if you will. And, you know, I went through business school and I, I got to see like, this must be a full-time job for you. And I'm sure it's priceless. And I'm sure you'll say that, but I got to wonder, man, are you making ends meet on this podcast? Like, how are you pulling it off? I see these, these groups going up and, and, you know, podcasting must cost money. There has to be equipment and travel and the, like the meetups, like, like how the heck are you doing this, man? <laughs> great. Uh, great question, Elliot. Uh, I also you know, went to business school, graduated. Uh, it was my major in college and business school. And I could tell you right now, this would be an unsustainable business model. So the answer is <laughs> no, I'm not pulling it off, <laughs> Elliot. Uh, the, the, the difference is as long as I stay sober, it's worth it. So it's not really a matter if it's in the red or in the black that makes it worth it at the end of the day. It, it, it's, it's really only if I stay sober. And the payment for me is I think I've gotten over 650 emails from you guys and thousands of, of Facebook interactions. That to me is, is a form of payment in itself. However, you know, the, the emails don't pay bills, which, which is fine, which is totally fine. And, and, you know, I, I, I tallied it up and I looked at QuickBooks. It cost $2,800 to do the podcast. App sales were $1,211. Uh, iTunes took a lot of that. So I, I got about 800. And so I'm about $2,000 in the hole, which is fine. I don't care. Discourse forum that I just started is a hundred bucks a month. It's like 20 bucks for the podcasting hosting site. There are fixed costs, but it doesn't really matter. Um, moving forward, there might be some changes, but it, again, eye on the prize is sobriety. So it's been worth every minute of my time. <laughs> Good question, Elliot. That's awesome. So what I'm hearing you say then that the podcast will always be free, but you may have other, other ways to take it to the next level that may have a small fee that, that would make, make it a sustainable venture. Absolutely. And I think people will understand that and respect that there will be some, you know, some pushback saying, Hey, I'm not going to pay for a service like this. And that's totally fine. I have realized though, that this is a passion of mine. I want to continue to eradicate the stigma surrounding alcoholism. I want to travel the world and talk to groups. I want to travel to America and talk to schools and universities and continue doing this full time and step back from my other, you know, the other tasks and duties that do pay the bills. And so I don't really know what the platform is going to look like, but you know, and just there's only one way to find out just to try things. Dude, walking on faith. I love it. I love it. You have the vision of, of where you're making a difference and where your passion is. And, uh, dude, I wish, I wish more people, including myself could live life like that. Cause 
to, I hear the passion in your voice and that, you know, from talking to you over the, the last year, like you're really in the groove right now. So I'm so happy to hear that. And I think the, I think <laughs> the you. universe will conspire to support you one way or another. Um, if I so, stay sober, <laughs> amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, I have, I have one more kind of curveball question for you here. Uh, you know, I got talking about you being an average guy from Montana and me just being an average guy. Has it been tempting to have bigger personalities on the podcast, authors, you know, sports professionals, actors, people with a higher profile. Uh, and is there a reason you haven't done that? Or is that maybe in the works for the future? What are your thoughts on that? Elliot, that is a great question that I've been asked only a couple times before. I was a part of Podcasters Paradise by John Lee Dumas. And one of his tutorials was what guests you get on your show. And you're supposed to get guests where you can leverage their networks. For example, I would go get a big name alcoholic, you know, Buzz Aldrin, if that dude was uh, around, right? You know, I'd get a uh, Russell Brand. I would get uh, Bradley Cooper, these big guys who are, who are in recovery. However, my niche that's not my target listener. I personally am not relatable to Amy Winehouse uh, or, or I feel like in Hollywood that rehab is, is kind of par for the course and it's almost like a notch on the belt. Yeah, I've been to rehab four or five times I and mean, I'm a rock star, but <laughs> yeah, like my, my target listener or the person that I am most intrigued to hear from is the Joe Schmo like myself and the nine to five guy who wakes up in the morning it's just like, oh my God, I'm hungover. Like, how, how, how do I, how do I stop this? Like, I feel so alone. And those people that I found, they are so courageous, and I have so much respect and admiration for those people that come on this podcast and just wear it all on the sleeve. And many times in the interviews, you know, Ty edits it out. Thank God, they'll stop talking and there'll be like a 10 second break, and I'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 and because I'm like totally in awe of what they're saying. It's incredible. <laughs> You know, I, I would encourage any listener out there, if you have more questions for Paul, I'm going to challenge Paul to do question and answer podcasts Stop. in the future. <laughs> so email Paul your questions and he'll try to get him to answer them online. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I could imagine over the last year, there have been things that have been like sun standstill moments for you. I know there have been for me when I'm listening to a podcast and it's like a light bulb goes off and it's like the term that you could, you could almost trademark it value bombs, Paul Churchill's value bombs. And, uh, I think that PCVB. Yeah, there you go. You know, we're all in different points in our journey and different things mean different things to different people. Uh, but I'm curious over the last year, what have been some of the most memorable things that have stood out to you. And I know that you've take, you've been taking notes all year and you and I shared and talked about them a little bit, but I think the listeners will find them interesting. Do you have that list handy? Do you want to go through it right now? Elliot, let's do it. Over the year, I've had many pen flipping moments where I flip the pen. I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's it. The light bulb goes off. <laughs> These are PCVBs. I just made that up. Not sure if that'll stick. <laughs> Paul Churchill value bombs. And I've got 10 of them here. And I want to preface it by saying these are not steps. We don't know the answers. But after interviewing 55 total people up to date, we are extremely alike. And I'm going to get right into the very first value bomb of the episode. Number one, avoid isolation like the plague. And what I mean by that is when I was in the depths of my hell in 2014, I felt like I was the only one not only in my city, but in the entire state, hell, the entire world that was going through with what I was going through. That's where the idea of the, of the accountability groups came to mind. You've got to surround yourself with other people who are like-minded, especially alcoholics. What do you have to say, Elliot? Oh, man, that is so true. I think that as uh, an alcoholic myself, while I was drinking, I felt like I was the only one that was suffering with what I was suffering. And it was my deep, dark secret I couldn't tell anybody. And I remember having moments where I was, you know, early in the morning in a hotel room by myself, hungover, and I just felt like I had to put on this face. I had to act the role so nobody else would know what's going on. And that just made me feel more hollow and more alone. And once I stepped out of that isolation, it was so liberating. And I got one more thing before we move on to the next value bomb. Russell Crowe says it the best in the movie, The Gladiator, whatever comes out those doors, of life. That's my, my addition. We've got a better chance of survival if we stick together. Yes. <laughs> well said. Well said, Russell. Good job, the Spaniard. 
Next up on the value bomb list is accountability. Accountability is like I said earlier, is I'd wake up and tell myself, but accountability to myself was not enough. Little did I know by telling people that I was an alcoholic and these steps seemed small at the time. One was texting my fantasy football league, telling my parents on their houseboat at 6 a.m. while I was drunk that I was an alcoholic. Later that same day, telling my brother in the bottom of the speedboat that I was an alcoholic. And a couple other small times after that, that I let my close family members and friends in that I was an alcoholic. I was creating accountability without even realizing it. My sobriety date was about two months later. Is this a coincidence? I don't know. Elliot, what you got? (laughs) You know, it's like stepping over the point of no return. I think once I let the cat out of the bag and, and I allowed myself to be accountable to a few other people, uh, it was kind of like I went past the point of no return and it's, it kind of goes hand in hand with being honest, like becoming accountable to somebody. It's making that agreement that you're going to start being honest to yourself and to somebody else. And that's a huge step so hard. I don't want to downplay it, but for me, dude, you hit the nail on the head there. Point of no return. I wrote that down. I love it. Next value bomb up on the list is going to be conduits. Now this one is a little bit more complicated because it broaches the topic of a higher power of God in recovery. However, I have termed it as conduits. What I mean by that, like electricity can easily flow through water. One can easily make contact with their higher power only when they're open to it through conduits. And conduits in recovery for me have been simply having a cup of coffee with another alcoholic, simply sitting by myself in the wilderness and listening to the wind go through trees, sitting on a beach and watching the waves. These are conduits, placing myself in the right situation, setting myself up up for success where I can be open to the idea of a higher power. (laughs) HP baby. You know, that's a good way to look at it, Paul, uh, because so many people do get hung up on the higher power concept. But, you know, when you think of a conduit, it, you, know, you think of a power line, there's power flowing through those lines and everybody's focused on the power. Is there power? Is there not power? Where's that power coming from? Where is it going to? And from what I'm hearing, you're saying, I'm just going to be the power line. I'm gonna, not going to need to know all the answers. I'm just going to let that power flow through me. I'm going to accept it and I'm going to find it in unlikely places. I'm going to see it in other people. I'm going to see it in nature. And I think that's awesome. What a, what a cool metaphor. Be the power line. I love it. And you said something yesterday when we chatted before this podcast episode about the conduit has a window of time. Tell me more about that. Yeah, boy, when I think back on my life, I I call them kind of thin spots, I guess you could call it, like between me and the higher power or me and destiny. And they are often those moments when I was at the lowest points in my life. Um, You know, I talked about, you know, those mornings in cold hotel rooms, waking up hungover, just feeling so alone, you know, driving back home after business trips and being like, I screwed up again. I can't believe that I got drunk on this trip. And they were times that I resented. And, and I think we all have those bottoms and they're different for everybody. And some are, you know, may sound more dramatic than others, but I think it's those windows when we're at our lowest that we actually get the glimpses of clarity when we Mm -hmm. say, this isn't how I want to live my life. And, you know, we lie to ourselves on our own voice all the time, especially when we're drinking. And one thing I would always tell myself is, you know what, you're emotional right now. Just get through this. It'll get better. And that was the wrong thing to tell myself at that point, because those were the times when the truth was coming through. And I have this theory, uh, and it's just my theory. There's no science behind it. But, you know, there's a statistic out of there that something like 10% of the population of the world has substance problems or has the potential to have substance problems. And only 5% of those people get sober for a period of time. And only something like 5% of those 5% actually stay sober. And I think it comes down to these moments when we get real with ourselves. And I think it's 
I think it's a gift from our higher power, if you want to call it that, or a thin spot between us and our true destiny. But there are power in that moments. And I think instead of being resentful for those moments or looking back on shame, like those are the times when we have the clarity and that's really a gift. As Omar would say from the Share podcast, HP baby, it's, <laughs> it's imperative you find these conduits. Next up on the value bomb list is affirmations. This can be silent affirmations. These can be out loud affirmations to yourself, or this can be done in front of a group of people. But basically what I learned after interviewing 55 people, it's these affirmations that really help battle the dry drunk syndrome that I was for two and a half years. All I was was a dry drunk. I was not addressing the internal addiction, and my internal addiction is named Gary. I wasn't saying these affirmations saying, hey, Gary, I'm an alcoholic today. And guess what? Tomorrow, I'm also going to be an alcoholic. Gary, I recognize that you're there, and I do respect you. But today, Gary, I'm not listening to you. You're not going to have it. What do you think, Elliot? <laughs> Incredibly short memory, right? It's, yeah. uh, you know, we have those moments of truth, like we were just talking about, and it's so easy to forget those moments. And, and I think what you're saying is we need to hold on to them and be reminded of them. And there's different ways to do that, whether we're talking to other people that remind us or whether we write it down and we affirm it. That is, you know, that's, that's awesome. You know, I remember when I was struggling and I would get up and I would go on walks and I would literally write affirmations and I would say them over and over and over. And then the next night I would be drunk and I would get so mad at myself because I'd promised myself I'm not going to drink. And that'd be my affirmation. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. But I was kind of and I think I was on the right path, but I was missing the point that I needed to get honest with somebody. I needed to do these other things first. But and as soon as I did those other few things, the affirmations, they didn't get me sober but they keep me sober. That is the great way to look at it. They keep you sober. When I talk to schools, I could go into a school and all the kids could have earphones in, you know, the, you know, the beats by Dre over their heads and I could walk out and it would still be worth every second of my time. Because when I walk out, I'm like, yep, still an alcoholic. I'm not drinking today. Peace. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's beautiful the way that is structured. The next value bomb and number five on the list, get RE real with yourself. You got to be honest. And what that means is be honest with yourself. And that's a lot easier said than done. But the internal voices are there. But your internal addiction is also trying to suppress those voices. Get honest with yourself. If you're an alcoholic and you think you are, you're an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you are, or you aren't. If you sit in a garage long enough, it doesn't make you a car. It doesn't define you. It's just, you're an alcoholic. That That's fine. Tell me about honesty, Elliot. Oh man. I, you know, I think it's a, a good metaphor. It came from a book that I read uh, by John Burke, uh, an author from Austin, Texas. And the title of the book is The Mud and the Masterpiece. And the premise of it is when you look in the mirror or you look at a masterpiece that's been caked with mud, you see the mud. And I think it's tempting to get honest with ourselves. You look in the mirror, man, I'm fat, man, I'm an alcoholic, man, I'm a liar, man, I'm this, man, I'm that. No, you're not. That's just the mud that's on top of you. And it's so tempting to get down on ourselves. But the real honesty is what's underneath that mud. Who are you at the core? And you might not even know it. And maybe the honesty is, you know what? This doesn't define me. These struggles don't define me. And I'm going to walk on faith till I find out what's underneath. And that's honesty too. Wow. These struggles don't define me. And the way to pass the honesty test is to take another test. That's called the mirror test. Look at yourself in the mirror. Not a quick glance. Stare down deep at your eyeballs. Stare till it's painful and what you see. Well, is it painful? That right there will tell the answer. If you can honestly look yourself in the mirror, and a couple podcast episodes ago, I walk you through the mirror test, so check that out. Next value bomb, and this one is a difficult one to go through, and, it, so, and it's anonymity. I'm going to go ahead and let you commandeer this episode or this topic, value bomb, like you've been doing so far in this episode, anonymity. <laughs> Take it from here, Mr. Elliot. Oh, man. You, first off, you're welcome, Paul. I'm glad to take this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anonymity is a tough one because there are, it's like a coin, right? And there's two sides of the coin and people love 
when I remember when I was getting sober, I loved that it was called Alcoholics Anonymous because I knew I could go there. Nobody would out me that what was said in the meetings wouldn't leave the meetings. And so it was a safe place to go. But at the same point, I was told, you know, like the, the underlying idea is it's anonymous because you can't talk about it because it's shameful. There's something that needs to be hidden. There's something that the world shouldn't know about you. So you can come here and tell your deep, dark secrets, but keep it quiet because you're different and people won't accept you for who you are. And that kind of leads into that stigma that you've, you're so good at shattering. The stigma we don't even talk, want to talk about because we don't want to create more power because it's wrong. Alcoholism is simply a disease as defined by the American Medical Association in what, 1956? And, and all it means is that your body is biologically different. So when alcohol enters your body, it becomes almost impossible to stop drinking. And when you're not drinking, you have this mental obsession that makes you want to take that first drink. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with all the negative associations people have. So I think people hide behind that anonymity after they get into it because it's uncomfortable to talk about and it's easier to to kind of take things out of context and say, nope, it's anonymous. I can't talk about it, which is totally fine. There's no judgment there. But I was thinking about it more, and I think that it's also anonymity for another couple reasons that I've just recently kind of realized, because we alcoholics tend to be egomaniacs, right? The world's all about us when we're drinking, and we have this inferiority complex, so we need to always be building ourselves up, and we need need these outside affirmations. So I think it'd be very tempting for people to walk into any 12-step meeting and want to be the leader, want to commandeer the group, want to kind of make it about them or their following. And that is so polar opposite of what the 12 steps are about, where it's about getting out of your own head and it's about getting honest with yourself. And so you need to take that mask off and get real. And so I think an- anonymity is super powerful for those type of people. And I, <laughs> I might be one of them, uh, where it's, it's kind of liberating to walk in and realize, you know what? I can just be me. I don't have to be the leader here. I don't have to take the reins. But on the flip side, there's still that stigma where people don't talk about it. And so we need to be very careful, I think, and I want you to chime in on this, Paul, to know when you're in a meeting, that's where you don't talk about who went to the meeting, what was said in the meeting. But outside of the meetings, there's nothing that says you need to keep your struggles a secret. I think this podcast is a great example of the amazing things that can happen when people get honest with each other and when they don't hide these secrets in the closet, because these secrets and this shame can't stand the light. Once you shine the sunlight on it, it's amazing how quick the shame vanishes. And uh, that's the only way to take power uh, away from being shameful is to tell somebody. And man, it's liberating. I mean, what do you think about all this? First off, wow, everything you just said is phenomenal. I agree 100%. Landing, a safe landing point in, in, in the meetings is what it has to be. The anonymous part, in my opinion, should refer to the safe landing spot for somebody new in recovery. Of course, what is said in those meetings are sensitive to the people who say them, and that should stay in those meetings. However, Elliot, you flattered me earlier in this podcast, and I didn't see that coming. Damn it. <laughs> I'm going to flatter you for a second right now. I've always looked up to you. When I visited my brother when I was a, I was a junior in high school, he was a freshman at Puget Sound University. He always talked about this guy, Elliot. And then I was like, finally, finally met this guy, Elliot. And, and you know what? He was everything is advertised. He was, he was the real deal. And Elliot, there was a time where I needed you. I really effing needed you. And I don't know if it was uh, 2007 or 2008, and I talk about this in the interview in episode five, is, is I saw you sitting at a table drinking beer uh, when I think it might have been my dad's 60th birthday in Vegas or a cigar convention that we go to. And you had a beer across the table. I had a beer across the table. I was looking at you drink, and I'm like, man, why can't I be more like this guy? Instead, I said to myself, I am a total piece of shit. I'm going to have this one Bud Light. And I'm going to try to call it good, but I know I'm going to order another one and I'm going to order another one. And on that same trip, I think it was the same trip. I blacked out one night and I pulled out a receipt in the back in my back pocket. I think I spent, I know it was over a thousand dollars at a, at a, at a nightclub, just totally blacked out, ordered two bottles of vodka at $500 a piece. I needed you so bad on, on that <laughs> trip. I still need you right now in my life, but it was the anonymity 
that held us back for so long from meeting each other. And it was only until my brother sent out an email. You know, again, I'd sent out, I sent my mom and my brother a link to the podcast. It was like, Hey, it'd be cool if you guys could share this on Facebook and your email. And you know, my brother did like the, the email route with his close friends and my mom just like blasted it on Facebook. It's like, Hey, my son Paul's an alcoholic. And my brother went the more conservative approach, which I thought my mom would take. And you were on that email chain, right? Yeah, I was. And, you know, I remember that time, I think we were in the Bellagio having lunch and, you know, it was probably nine months after that day. I'm trying to think back when I first realized I had a drinking problem and it was, that's when you can hear about in episode five, uh, for those that are listening, that's when the wheels started turning in my mind and I realized I needed to get out of the alcohol industry and make some changes in my life. And it was a four or five year struggle of me uh, admitting that I really did and proving to myself that I really did have a problem. And uh, I look back and, you know, I'm grateful for that. But man, could you imagine if you and I, nine months later, once I realized I had a problem, started talking and all the pain and suffering that we both would have avoided. It was like, you know, people post, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going in for chemotherapy or whatever they're posting. You know, there's no shame in that. What if, what if people talked about their struggles with that openness? We wouldn't have had a tenth of the struggle we had. I'm just so grateful that you had the courage to, to step out into the limelight because if you wouldn't have done that, we probably still wouldn't be talking because I've learned a lot from you about that over these years, uh, over this last year. And I'll tell you, I'm so much more comfortable about talking about recovery now because it, in my mind, it's a super positive thing. I don't have the negative associations I used to have because it's so fun to be uh, improving yourself and to be seeing other people in your life improving themselves. It is, I don't know, it's contagious. Contagious is a great word. And again, reason 851, why I started the podcast is I got to hang out with guys that I look up to like Elliot on a Tuesday, February 9th at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> so I guess a takeaway from this longer value bomb is the anonymity aspect of it while in recovery. Look, I challenge you, maybe don't hold it such as a secret because the person you say it to, you never know. They could be the person that needs to hear it the most, or it's their brother or sister, it's their dad, it's, it's, it's their mom. It's a family disease. Don't hold it so tightly. The next value bomb on this list comes from a wonderful paragraph in a big blue book, which is in the top 50 bestseller list of all time called The Big Book. It's acceptance. On page 417 of that book, it talks about acceptance of simply being okay with your current situation and accepting how your life is at that very moment is in itself empowering. Tell me about that, Elliot. I think for the people listening, if you don't hear anything in this episode or you don't remember anything in this episode, remember what Paul just said. And Paul, maybe you can say it again because this is where it all starts. Until you have the acceptance that your body doesn't process alcohol like everybody else. And you recognize that you have a mental obsession before you take that first drink where it's almost impossible to take that drink. Until you really accept that, everything else is kind of spinning your wheels. It's the acceptance, which is the answer for me. And also it's the acceptance that it's okay to feel shitty. And another quote that I got from doing this podcast, a woman named Pam said, you got to get through it to get to it. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's so simple, but... If you're feeling like crap, there's no shortcut. You just got to sit and feel the emotion because there are no shortcuts. If you drink to suppress that feeling, it's just borrowed time. You eventually will have to face the emotion. It's just a matter of when. And if they're all compiled enough, you know, the, the top is just going to come bursting out and all these emotions are going to fill them at once and it's not going to be pleasant. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, while I was dealing with these feelings in my life, I heard something super powerful from Rich Roll. And he was talking and, you know, he's in recovery and he was talking about it in one of his podcasts very openly. And that's super inspiring. But he said to his guest, you know, they're just feelings. Like, I don't want to downplay them. And feelings have power when you act on them. But if you recognize they're just feelings, it kind of makes them less powerful. And, and, you know, it's sometimes hard to realize in the moment, but that helped me a lot when I was depressed and angry I, really, I remembered that. And I was like, you know what? These are just feelings and they're going to pass. Elliot, and 
I agree 100%. Rich Roll is one of those guys that uh, I do want to reach out to and, and see if he would be on the podcast. So I do want to do that in the future. Listeners, we have three value bombs left. Number eight on the list is recovery and network. The people that I have interviewed or the people in general in recovery that I've talked to that seem to have a successful plan in place, a successful recovery portfolio, they have an extensive recovery network. Just like a successful banker or real estate agent would have a lot of people to call in their Rolodex, my recovery network is bustling at the seams, but it will never be full. Elliot, you are a huge part of my recovery network. My recovery network will be expanding on February 27th in Seattle at that meetup, on March 5th in San Francisco at that meetup. It's putting numbers in your phone of other like-minded individuals who are also alcoholics. What you got, Elliot? Yeah, man. You, you, can, you can stay sober alone and be a dry drunk, right? Uh, but it's, it's by doing it with other people that makes it so much more fun and powerful and meaningful. So uh, that's a good one, man. Love it. Value bomb number nine is the journey, the journey to recovery. Again, I don't have the answers of how to get there, but I do know that after interviewing 55 people, the journey is strikingly the same for everybody. And you can't skip these milestones on the journey. Everything on the journey or the pathway to sobriety, it's got to be hit. Now, you said something very important the other day, Elliot, when we chatted. It is possible to speed up this process, but you can't skip over milestones on the journey. Talk to me about that. Uh, well, I like the analogy of like walking up a, a step of stairs. Let's say you're skipping steps and you're, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going you're gonna to twist an ankle. You're going to slip. Each step is there for a reason, and this is a marathon, not a sprint. But at the same point, there's nothing that says you need to stand on one step longer than another. You know, I think that we were created for a purpose in this life, and the purpose is different for each of us. But there is nothing that says it needs to take us a long time to find that purpose, or it needs to be really hard to find that purpose. And I think sometimes we like to make ourselves struggle, and it's almost like we're punishing ourselves more than we need to. And that's baggage that holds us back. So for me, I've I've gone, th I've done things the easy way, and I've done things the hard way. And uh, I realize, you know what? It's, like they say, it's all the journey. But there's nothing that dictates how fast or slow we need to go. It is the journey that that's the process too. It's, it's, it's not the destination. That is the happy point. And I have loved every, okay. I've loved 95% of the journey. Getting sober is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. It's hard. In fact, it's the most difficult thing I've ever done in my entire life, but it doesn't have to be that difficult when you take into account the other nine value bombs and the last value bomb which I think is the most important one that we have on this list. And thank you, Elliot, for bringing it to my attention. This would mirror step 12 or the last step of pretty much any step program is helping others. And we recovery elevator. That is it. And I'm not helping you. This is I'm a selfish alcoholic, just like everybody else. I started this to help myself. But <laughs> you guys are helping me by being on my podcast. You're helping me by sharing your story. You're helping me stay sober by being part of the groups that I participate in. And it's a beautiful thing the way recovery is structured. I can help another alcoholic all day. And even if that alcoholic relapses or takes a drink that night, which however unfortunate that is, I still stay sober and I'm still helping myself. Can you comment on that? Yeah, you know, when I first got into this process and I would hear that, I would immediately want to tune out because I'm like, what do I have to offer anybody? And and I felt like I'd given everything I had in my life. You know, I've taken care of my family, my work. You know, I'm just struggling to make uh, the ends meet in life. And I had no energy. And I'm like, you know, service work, like, I'm not interested. I don't get it. Like, if I need to do it to check a box, like, I'll do it. But I was not enthused about it. To check a box. At, I love it. Yeah, at all. You know, and I just kind of dismissed it. And it, along the way, I realized, you know, it's it's not even about what you're doing. It's about the process of getting out of your own head. And there was one day, and I think I maybe talked about it in episode five, where I was, had just unloaded the groceries into the back of the car and had the kids in the car. And normally what I do is just push the, the shopping cart up onto the curb 
and uh, pull out of there. And, you know, they have people that they pay to do that too. And uh, something inside me said, you know, walk that back, you know, and I was like, holy cow, I feel so much better about myself. And it's become my little thing. (laughs) Walking the shopping cart back is a little reminder that it's not all about me. It's super silly, but I consider that service work. Talking to a friend, you know, making my family dinner. uh, It's just constant reminders that it's not about me. And that is so powerful with sobriety because it's, it's almost like your secret weapon because once it's about me, that's when I start thinking about what will make me feel good. What do I want to do? What do I deserve? And that's the moment you maybe start down or I start down that slippery slope where I could potentially have another drink. So, you know, I, I think about it like a bank account and, you know, you have a little money in the bank account. Maybe you help somebody, maybe you go to a meeting, maybe you listen to a podcast and it's like you're making these little deposits in your sobriety. And let's say you don't do any of that and your bank account goes down and down and down. Once it goes to zero or below zero, that's when you have that drink. That's when you really slip. And in life, I believe you're either moving one way or another. You can't stay stagnant. It's not like I have a deposit. Life is taking those deposits out whether you like it or not. You got to keep putting in deposits. You don't have to do it fast. You don't have to wear yourself out. One or two little things a day might do it. It's different for everybody. But for me, it's just keeping the deposits going in to keep that account positive. Elliot, as long as we're on the metaphor page right now, I'm going to talk about how beautiful recovery is structured. I've said this before, but I'm going to make it simple in a way that us Montanans can look at it and people in the north with snow. So in recovery, it snows a lot. For example, one day it snows a lot. I'm going to go down and shovel Mrs. Richardson's driveway. takes me all morning. I look at her driveway. I'm like, you know what? That is a good driveway. The snow's not going to get packed down. Nobody's going to slip on it. And I'm like, yeah, but I got to go back home and shovel my driveway. But sure as shit, when I get home, my driveway is shoveled. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) When you help other people, all of a sudden you're helping yourself and you don't even know it. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a good Montana good analogy. I, I, you know, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I'm down here in Austin, Texas, and it's in the mid 70s. Don't say today. it. <laughs> mid 70s. I heard it. Thanks. That's that's awesome. <laughs> love it. Love it. We were in the 40s yesterday and today, so that that's two wins in a row. Right hey, there. all right. Yes. Well, those are the ten value bombs that I have learned after 55 episodes. Of, of recovery elevator podcast and i like i said i'm gonna do 52 and i'll let you know i told you last episode i'm not going anywhere you guys have stuck with me this far I, and and just take that blind leap of faith with me again let's let's do uh, this together and elliot what, what do you got to say to close it out Paul, man I, I gotta say thank you i know i said at the beginning thank you for this year i'm so excited about what's coming up next but you know if i'm gonna commandeer this episode we might oh, as well God. just take it to the whole thing you know you know paul I think we like to close this thing with a few questions at the end. I have a a few standard questions. (laughs) So, Paul, if you don't mind, I'd like you to tell me, what is your worst memory from drinking? Oh, the rapid fire round. Are you rapid firing me right now? I am rapid firing you. Let me guess, 30 to 60 seconds to answer these questions, right? (laughs) You got it. But you know what? If you need to go longer, you can. Oh, God. (laughs) because <laughs> uh, i know you can edit it out <laughs> no, no worst memory from drinking there's way too many but one that does pop into mind was uh 2014 i got a dui driving to work and again i had a failed suicide attempt last summer i told the cops i was suicidal and that will get you in the suicide room wearing nothing but a bulletproof suicide vest and it's, and it, it is possible to hurt yourself in a suicide room but uh they're very, it, it was just a terrible, terrible night. Mm, man, it's a, it's a memory that'll keep you sober. Uh, okay, number two, Paul. We've all had those aha moments or like those oh shit moments when you realize you can't control your drinking. Do you remember what any of those moments might have been for you? Oh God, again, there's been a hundred <laughs> of them. But one of them at the beginning, I had an oh shit moment. And when I took a taxi cab to the hospital in Spain when I had my first panic attack because I that was when my body was like, look, we cannot stop drinking after we start. However, my body needs alcohol just to function. So I was in the ER shoveling euros down this payphone, calling my mom and just be like, mom, I, I can't beat this. I, I have no idea how to control this. And up to that point in my life, 
my best ideas and my actions and plans had been able to control basically 99.9% of, of my life until I reached oh, alcohol. So there we go. <laughs> okay, number three, Paul, what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? Ari, I want to keep doing Recovery Elevator and keep my recovery portfolio full. I want to keep working with my sponsor. I just finished my fifth step. I've been working with a sponsor for about a year. I want to keep expanding my recovery network. I want to keep talking at schools. I've got a, I've got a goal in 2016 to speak at 20 schools. I want to grow the forum. I want to grow the recovery elevator accountability groups. And just, just stay sober. Keep that recovery portfolio full. Nice, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Now I got to ask you number four, Paul, what is your favorite resource in recovery besides episode five of the recovery elevator and maybe episode 52? (laughs) Oh, I can answer that with a one word answer. And that answer is you. That would be you, Elliot. And that would be you as in everybody out there who's been on the podcast, everybody in the Recovery Elevator Accountability Group. My favorite resource is having the recovery network in my phone, on my email. Everybody that I've interviewed, guess what? I got their email. I can shoot out an email to these people. And they're all very successful people. They're all great individuals. And we have something in common. So my number one resource is my recovery network, shall we say. I love it. I love it. Okay, number five. In regards to sobriety, what is the best advice you've ever received? Thank you, Pam from Wyoming for helping me out with this one. You got to go through it to get to it, which basically means you just got to feel the feelings as they come. You can't drink them away. You can't uh, drink them away with coffee or try to put your mind in an altered state. You just got to sit and be. I love it. And the last one here, Paul, number six, what parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners or who are thinking about quitting drinking? I'm going to answer your question with the question. If you think you might have a problem with alcohol, then you might have a problem with alcohol. That's a statement, not a question, but you get the point. Get real. (laughs) Be honest with yourself. Again, it's the stigma that And I'm guilty as charged. I tried to find every single reason in the book that I was not an alcoholic. That guy likes baseball. He's an alcoholic. I hate baseball. I can't be an alcoholic. Boom. Case shut. Case closed. (laughs) I am not an alcoholic. Get real with yourself. Be honest. Oh, that's awesome. Well, shall we? No, no. I'm asking asking you a question right now, Elliot. (laughs) Because we did not have this at interview five or episode five. You got to give listeners your own personalized. You might be an alcoholic if. Oh, man. Okay. You might be an alcoholic if you clean the hotel room before the maids do so they won't see what you've been up to. <laughs> you probably tip the maids too, even after before doing their job. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's how yeah. nice of a guy you are. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have one? Oh, I guess I got one real quick. You might be an alcoholic if, after being a dry drunk for two and a half years, the very first night of drinking, you drink all the alcohol in the house. And then at 2 30 in the morning, after the gas stations are closed and you can't buy alcohol, you're Googling with a bottle of hydrogen peroxide on your left, rubbing alcohol on the right. You're Googling which one you can drink that will do the least amount of bodily harm. Oh, the answer is oh. they both can mess you up pretty good. And again, that was a, that was an oh shit moment. You're like, oh shit, I, I definitely am an alcoholic. Oh man, it's nice not to be there anymore, isn't it? Very nice. Elliot, I got to say thank you for helping me stay sober and being a very integral part of my recovery network. Oh, man. Thanks for having me on today. It's been fun to to be part of this journey and uh, watch the growth of the Recovery Elevator. And I got to say, man, thank you from all of us that are listening. And we are so excited about seeing what's in store for next year. Yeah. And hang tight. I, re- I realized that you helped me out with a tagline on this. It, you know, you take the elevator down, you got to take the stairs back up. So I'm going to let you go ahead and say it. Close this episode out for us, Elliot. All right. You took the elevator down, but you got to take the stairs back up. You can do this.